Today we are in our penultimate week of our Fruit of the Spirit series. I know Colin Ross said we were in the penultimate week last week, but he was wrong. So uh, is that that or he didn't know if there was a word for the third last? Is there a word for the third last in something? No. Oh, well. There we go. I was hoping to learn something there today, but never mind. Uh, so yeah, we're in our Fruit of the Spirit series. I thought I would quickly test you. Can you all shout out what the fruits of the Spirit are, please? And I've got them on the list here, so I'm going to check them off. Gentleness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Well done, everyone. Well done. You've been listening well. That's good to hear. Uh, So this week, uh, we are looking at faithfulness. In uh, Yellowstone National Park in the United States, there's a famous geezer. uh, They're known as Old Faithful. So it was apparently first named in 1870. I found this all out this last week in my kid's devotional book. So I have fact-checked some of this. Um, So in 1870, and on regular and reliable intervals of between 45 minutes and two hours, it regularly erupts. And it's often sometimes up to like 32,000 liters of boiling hot water that can reach up to 185 feet. But it's interesting that Old Faithful is not actually probably the most spectacular geezer that there is there. There is one that belongs to one called the Steamboat Geezer. I have no idea why they called it that. But its spray can reach up to 300 feet. Um, But it's not so regular, and in fact it was dormant for a while. But I do find it interesting that in Yellowstone National Park, the one that is celebrated most isn't the one that is actually most spectacular, but the one that is most faithful. And so apparently if you go there, and if you're in the local area, there's lots of like inns and restaurants, and they're named after Old Faithful, not after the steamboat one. I find that pretty interesting. Faithfulness is not always something that is most celebrated in society. I think success, effectiveness, winning are all probably celebrated first. But that said, it was lovely that last week that we could gather together and we could celebrate Jim and Agnes Wilson and their anniversary. In that time, we spoke of their faithfulness to one another and to God. So in our time together, we're going to look at how God is faithful, how we respond to his faithfulness, and how we reflect his faithfulness. So the best place, I think, to start is to look at how God is faithful. He is our example, and he demonstrates to us what it means to be perfectly faithful. The Bible is a story of how God is faithful to his word and to us, and even when we are not. And there are a number of scriptures that we'll have a look at that demonstrate this. But first of all, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 34, I'm just going to read two verses from there in 6 and 7. And so this is how God describes himself. He says there, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Uh, I'm just going to read a paragraph from uh, a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly. You've heard us probably speak about this quite a lot from the front. If you've not read this book yet, please do get yourself a copy. It's a a fantastic book. Uh, And so I'm just going to just read a paragraph because I think he, um, he, he speaks about you know, this passage here. So this is Dane Ortland. He says, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is covenant language. 
There's one Hebrew word underlying the English phrase steadfast love is the word hesed, which refers to God's special commitment to the people with whom he has gladly bound himself in an unbreakable covenant bond. The word faithfulness gets at this too. He will never throw, up, throw his hands up in the air despite all the reasons his people give him to do so. He refuses even to entertain the notion of forsaking us who deserve to be or of withdrawing his heart from us the way we do towards others who hurt us. Therefore, he is not simply existing in large-hearted covenant commitment, but abounding in it. His determined commitment to us never runs dry. And I just want to just give a couple of examples of what we see in Scripture. So first of all, we start in Genesis, and you have Adam and Eve in the garden. And of course, we probably all know that story pretty well of how they sinned by eating of the, uh, the fruit of the tree of which God had commanded them not to eat. But in this passage, we see God's faithfulness. In chapter 3, verse 21, we read, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Despite our sin, God does not abandon us. He still cares deeply. Our sin has repercussions, and we can all see that, but one of those is not that God leaves us. He continues to love us, continues to care, continues to want to show grace and mercy, and as Dane Ortland was getting at, it's not something that he's doing unwillingly or begrudgingly, but he continually wants and desires to welcome us back with this unending forgiveness that just overflows from his heart. Another example is found in Judges. And so you have the story of Samson. And once you've studied uh, Samson and his life as an adult, you figured out that what you were taught in children's church is a little different. <laughs> so Samson uh, was a strong man. He was a Nazarite, a judge over Israel. But over his time, he managed to break every single vow that he had made as a Nazarite. Despite that, and after his hair is cut off by Delilah, we see again that God does not forsake him. In Judges 16, 21, we read, But the hair of his head began to grow again. Again, it's just a sign that God does not abandon us, that he is faithful so even when Samson wasn't faithful to God, we saw that because God is faithful, that his strength returned in the final moments of his life. In fact, the whole book of Judges, if you go through that, in fact, there's, uh, we put out a link on right now, for Right Now Media. There's uh, uh, a good Bible series on there uh, by J.D. Greer, uh, and he goes through the book of Judges. And you just see time and time again that the people of God, they turn to him, they fall away, they turn to him, they fall away, they turn to him, they fall away. It's a really repetitive book. But it's just a constant reminder of how God is faithful to us. And uh, about, a, I'm about a year and a half ago, we went through Ezra and Nehemiah as a church. And again, that's just a reminder that after uh, Israel was exiled, they went to Babylon, that God did not forget them. But they returned to Jerusalem, and there they rebuilt the temple, and there they rebuilt the walls, not because of what they did, but because of God's faithfulness, and that he had not forgotten them. That faithfulness that God showed then is still the faithfulness that he shows to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God's faithfulness to us was shown even before we knew him. Before we uttered a word of repentance, he sent Jesus to die in our place. 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to do what he has said that he will do. He is committed to our salvation. Again, it was a little plug for Right Now Media. Uh, the young adults were going through uh, Ephesians at the moment, and again, it's another J.D. Greer one. And he said something as we were going through chapter 1 that has stuck in my mind. And in fact, you've probably hear, heard me say it more than once. He says, Jesus is more committed to our salvation than we ever will be. Although we know that we need to be saved from the power of sin, our resolve is not perfect. Our desires are easily corrupted. Our commitment to what we need most is often so weak. But God is not. Philippians 1 reminds us that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What an incredible verse that is. No matter what today has been like for you, no matter what this week, this month, this season has been like for you, God is committed to you and he is faithful to save. Thankfully, salvation is not based on our faithfulness. It is based on his. Yes, it desires a response, but it is all based on Jesus, who he is and what he has done. As Jesus rose from the grave, he affirmed all of God's promises. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we can be assured of all that he said, that he is able to save, that he is always with us, that he listens, that he cares, that we can trust him, that he is sovereign, that he is reigning over all things. In fact, Donald, I wonder if you could start putting some verses on the screen. Um, a while back, I think it was right at the start of the pandemic, uh, we did a series called The Promises of God. And so if you can stick the next one up, uh, we don't have time to, to read all of these. And so, but these are just some of the promises that God makes to us. That he is good, that he is our refuge. That he will renew our strength that he goes before us, that he is with us, that we need fear no evil. If you want to keep going, Donald. That we do not need to be anxious, that we can trust in him. If you want to go to the next one as well. Thanks, Donald. I'll, um, I'll ask Robert if we can get those onto the online catch-up so you can spend some time looking at those later on. I'm just aware of time. God is faithful. 
So as we've considered his faithfulness, that leads us to consider two things of what it means for us to be faithful and that what we find in the fruit of the Spirit. So first we will look how we respond to his faithfulness and then secondly how we reflect it in this world. So thank you to Ian for reading from Exodus 1. So in there we found the nation of Israel being oppressed by the most powerful man in the world at the time, Pharaoh. So from the end of Genesis to the start of Exodus, you've got approximately 400 years has passed. And from the end of Genesis where we see that uh, Jacob, Joseph, and the whole family, they, they have some favor from the Pharaoh there. The number of Pharaohs have probably come and gone, and the one that we have now is actually very, very different. And he is living in fear of the people of Israel. He sees how they are multiplying, he sees how they are growing, and he sees how they could become a threat. He's worried that Israel might join with other nations and attack them. And so what he decides to do is to enslave them. He is ruthless, and he afflicts them with heavy burdens. Pharaoh then goes further, and this is the passage that Ian read for us, where he looks to commit genocide. He asks or commands the midwives to kill every single baby boy that is born. It really is a harrowing story to read. But in the midst of this atrocity, we come across two women who are full of faith. Their names are Shifra and Pua, two midwives, and they defy the, the command of Pharaoh. So despite the hardship that they are in, despite knowing what might happen to themselves, to their families, they go against the might of Pharaoh. Who knows what might have been going through their heads? And we're just like, you know, we could face death for this. But in the face of the might of of Pharaoh, they defy him. And the question is, why? And the simple answer is that they feared God more. So if you want to look at verses 17 and 21 in Exodus chapter 1. So yeah, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. And then again in verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. These two midwives, they knew who God was, and they knew what he had promised. And uh, Donald, again, could you pop these verses on the screen? So one commentary I looked at in this passage uh, entitled the section as Brave Obedience and I actually think that's probably a good way to describe faithfulness or how we would look uh, like our faithfulness to be. Bravely in the face of what is happening around you, obeying God and trusting in his promises. Faithfulness isn't just a state of mind, but as we see in all the fruit of the Spirit, they're doing words, they're active, they are something that we can see. And so Donald, if you want to go back to the, um, the slide, sorry, that I'd... Um, the ones that says Abraham, and here we go. If you go to the next one, sorry, that's really small writing here. Never mind. Uh, again, I'll get these on the catch-up. And so in, in Genesis 12 and 15, uh, you have this covenant that uh, God makes with Abraham. And in there, he speaks of how they'll be a great nation, of how he will bless them. And from this family, a blessing will come to the whole world, of how his offspring will, uh, will not be able to be uh, numbered. 
And then if you want to go to the next screen as well, please. And so then there's some promises that were made to Jacob as well. And again, it's a nation and a company of nations shall come to you. There's more promises about his offspring. And there's another one that says, I will make you into a great nation. This is Genesis 46. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. These are the promises that the two midwives believed in and they put their faith in. When you consider how much more of the promises of God that we have than they have, I think it's completely incredible that these two women stood up in the face of the, mighty of, the might of Pharaoh and said, no, we fear God more. Our faithfulness speaks to, um, of how trustworthy we believe God is. Do we believe that he is mighty to save? We just sang that. Do we believe that? And just to share a quick story of that, on Friday evening, three of our youth came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do we believe that he can do that and that he will do it again? Do we believe that he is sovereign? Do we believe, and I think Chrissy prayed this, that uh, he can turn what was meant for evil to good? Do we believe that he's always with us, that he's our provider? Romans 4 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. These two midwives were fully convinced. Are we fully convinced? I'll confess that I can often worry. I can worry about finances. I can worry about a kid's futures. I can worry about the direction that society is going in. But faith is a gift. And we continually need to ask for more of it. To be full of faith, you need to be less of something else. Of followers of Jesus, that we are new creations. Less of the old, more of the new. Less of life lived in the power of the flesh and more of life in the power of the spirit. More reverent fear of the God who is faithful to his promises and less of the weak and stumbling old me. As the old continually dies away, and we're made to become more like Christ. Faithfulness grows within us. We must continually ask for and expect that transformation to come in our lives. We need to cry out as we read in Mark 9, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to believe. Help me to trust. Help me to be faithful to you. Over the last few weeks, um, I've watched a number of videos from a guy called Shane, who is Josh Williams' mentor in Ukraine. So as everyone was being evacuated, uh, Shane and his wife, Jemima, they decided that they were going to stay and that they were going to help as many people as possible. And so every single morning, he posts a video just saying a bit of what he's going to be doing that day and just asking for people to pray. I've seen a man who's full of faith in those times. I've seen a man there who has more reverent fear of God than of the ammunition of another country. I've seen him go into cities that have been utterly destroyed in the hope of rescuing people. 
I've seen him make journeys, not knowing if he's got enough petrol to do it, but just believing that God has asked him to do it, so he goes anyway. And there they'll go and try and find medicine, they'll go and try and food, and bring that back for the people who need it. I see them going, making 12, 14-hour journeys with people that they have never met before. I see them taking huge risks, but I see them doing it in full faith of who God is, believing in who He is and in His promises, and being utterly surrendered to His will. I see a couple there who are living brave obedience and people who are fully convinced. So that is how we respond to God's faithfulness, with brave obedience and being fully convinced. Secondly, we'll look at how we can reflect his faithfulness. So when we use the word faithful, I think we're normally describing how much we can trust a person, how much we can trust them to do what they've said that they will do. Trustworthiness and faithfulness, I think, uh, as I said right at the start, are undervalued traits in today's world And I think it's one that we see people being pretty willing to compromise on. Without wanting to go too far down this road, I think we can often see that in our political leaders. I think sometimes um, we can let things go because it seems to be, oh, that's a means to an end. Integrity and trustworthiness, I think, have fallen down the priorities of what we want and celebrate in people. But the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, not effectiveness. But I think it's the effectiveness that is often more celebrated. How often do we judge and praise people by their results rather than their hearts and their motives? How often do we let things slide because there's a, well, it worked out, there was a successful outcome? Sadly, I don't think the church has its problems with this as well. You don't need to look too far, very sadly, in the church to see where success, effectiveness, winning is a priority over faithfulness. In fact, there was um, just a story this past week in a pretty major organization, a Christian organization, where a leader has had to step back because of issues like this. Faithfulness may not always look to produce results in today's world, but we are not of this world or living for this kingdom. We're part of the upside-down kingdom where God sees our hearts, not simply our results. We live in the kingdom where He is responsible for growth, where He builds His kingdom, and He knows what success is. And in His goodness and His grace, He decides to use us. Faithfulness is probably a word that we think about more when someone has actually acted unfaithfully. Each of us can probably remember a time when we've been on the end of a broken promise, when someone we've trusted has not followed through, maybe when someone that you'd built up trust in has done something to diminish or to break that trust, maybe someone you had made vows to has proven to be unfaithful, maybe you felt cheated, you've been wronged and their unfaithfulness has had a huge impact on your life. If that is you, I hope that you know of God's faithfulness, his always and his forever steadfast love. 
I hope you know of how he can bring restoration in any and all circumstances. I hope you know of the Holy Spirit's power working in your life that enables us to forgive when that trust has been broken. Trust is something that should be cherished, not held lightly, but should be built upon each and every single day. There are three quick things I want to say just on this trustworthiness uh, as we begin to come to a close. The first is how we use our words. We need to consider, is there a discontinuity between what we say and what we do? There needs to be great correlation between what we believe and how we behave, between what we promise and what we perform. Often in our effort to please people, to impress, or just to avoid conflict, we'll say that we'll do something, even in that moment, we know that we're going to struggle to do it, either because we don't have the capacity for it, or maybe we don't even agree with it. But sometimes we just say that we'll do things. You know, sometimes that does come from a good intention, but it doesn't come from an honest place. And honesty is integral when it comes to faithfulness. During my time, well, most of you will know, I uh, used to work as an analyst in an investment firm, so Aberdeen Asset Management. And so I was a performance analyst for them. Uh, and one of the colleagues I had there, a guy called Ross, he always used to say this. He used to say, under promise, over deliver. And uh, I remember him saying it a lot, and I kind of appreciated it. And so he was just like, you know, you kind of want to protect yourself, you know. You don't want to get caught out. You want to give yourself kind of space. And uh, if I'm honest, I kind of jumped on that bandwagon pretty hard at the time. But as I've reflected on it, I'm just like, do you know what? That probably actually wasn't honest. That was something just of trying to protect myself in it. Jesus speaks of this in his Sermon on the Mount where he says, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. And that's the words I probably should have remembered in my time in Aberdeen Asset. <laughs> James in chapter 3 warns us of the power of words and speaks of how the tongue is a fire that can so easily spread and of how it can stain the whole body. We must surrender our words to God and deeper than that, surrender our hearts. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. May our actions correspond to our words. May our words correspond with our hearts. And may our hearts be surrendered to God. So firstly, the words. Secondly, we must remain steadfast. As we saw earlier, God is faithful and steadfast. He doesn't run out on us. We're not too much hard work for him. We don't take up too much of his time, and he doesn't give up when we disappoint. He is steadfast, and as he is, we should, uh, we should look to reflect that. Remaining steadfast and continually standing with someone during difficult journeys, it can be so hard. But it's often these stories of when we are steadfast with one another that I think we celebrate the most. We're broken people, often selfish, often prone to making some unwise decisions. And, to, and so to say, I'm not giving up on you. I am with you. is to stick close to others like Jesus does with us. To get into the trenches of people's lives is to reflect what Jesus did as he came to earth to be with us. To be steadfast is to be sacrificial. 
is to put others' needs above your own. And that's to love how Jesus loves his church. Maybe consider the people in your lives, those who have been steadfast with you over many years. And it might be that at some point today that name comes to your head and you just want to send them a message and say thank you. Thank you for being with me through that incredibly hard time. Thank you for not abandoning me. Thank you for, for sticking with me when I maybe wasn't making the best choices or I wasn't able to be the best friend. Thank you for being there with me. And know that as we go to be steadfast with one another, we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit who equips us and enables us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, faithfulness means that we take risks to build up faithfulness in others. Many of you will know that I grew up in this church. And so from about the age of six, we came along. Uh, and so I went through children's church. I went through the youth group. And uh, I got married just standing about there somewhere. So I've spent a lot of time in this church. And as many churches do, you have high points and you have low points. Uh, and so when this church was formerly called International Baptist Church, probably, I can't, I can't even remember the year. I'm not going to do a Colin Ross and try to remember years. But there was some point uh, where we were going through, a, it was a pretty low dip. And there was maybe about 50 or 60 of us gathered here. And we got to a point where it's just like, we, uh, we're not too sure who's going to lead us in sung worship here. And so we had uh, uh, George Thompson, um, who, who passed away about eight years ago. Uh, and so George, for many years, had faithfully played the organ, but he was really struggling with arthritis, and so he could only do so much. And so the other person who could play a bit of an instrument was myself. And so I'd been teaching myself chords on the guitar for about a year. I will say that I had about five or six years of classical guitar lessons before then, which were truly wasted on me. Sorry, mom and dad. I've, they've helped me a little bit with the bass, but they got me into playing chords. Uh, and so I, I, I think my folks gave me a book called The Source or something like that. If you were a Christian like the late 90s and you were into music, you had this big book called The Source. Uh, and so at the back of it, I had all the chords that you needed. Uh, and so I used to like, pick a song that I wanted to learn, and I'd learn the chord, and I'd give it a bash. Now, in their wisdom, I'm not too sure, but the leaders in the church uh, allowed myself and some others to form a praise group and to lead the church in worship. Now, I'll say in that time, there were some things that went really well. There were some things that did not go well at all. I made a lot of mistakes, and I continue to make a lot of mistakes when I play. There are some things I feel I led okay in. There are some things I didn't lead that well in. But despite that, the leaders in the church, they trusted us. They took a risk. And I am very thankful for them for doing that. Let us take risks with one another and build up trust. Let us put faith in our young people and stand with them, giving them an opportunity to grow in faithfulness. Let us be steadfast and faithful when things go wrong, which they probably will, when they struggle, when things don't work out the way that we or they might have imagined. Remember, we're a family and we are called to faithfulness, not effectiveness. Let us be encouraging Let's build one another up and let's be quick to forgive when we need to be. Young people, be patient with this too. 
In Luke 16, Jesus reminds us that one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Sometimes you have to start small, but keep building it up, keep building it up. For everyone else, let's take a risk. Let's give some responsibility to our young people. Let's encourage them. Let's build them up. Friends, this morning, I hope that you've been reminded above all else that God is faithful. We've seen throughout Scripture His faithfulness to His Word and to His people. We've been reminded that salvation is found in Him alone. He is the founder and the perfecter, and He will bring it to completion. He is a faithful Savior. So would we respond and trust Him? Would our reverent fear of God always outweigh any fears that we have of this world? Would we believe that He is faithful, and may that produce an active, seen faithfulness to Him in our lives? Would we reflect his faithfulness to others? Would we be true to our words? Would we remain steadfast even when things are tough? And would we give an opportunity for people to grow in faithfulness? Would the fruit of the Spirit be evident? And would it all ultimately give glory to God? Amen.